Welcome back to part two of John Cooper's book, Awaken Alive to Truth. This is going to be part two of probably four uh, as we've gone through this now and done some editing, we realize this really did become a lot longer of a conversation than we probably originally intended for it to be. So this week, we're going to go ahead and cover the second half of what was originally going to be part one. In our words, this is going to be chapters three through five in our conversation of John Cooper's book, Awake and Alive Truth. I actually don't have wax in my ears. I've always amazed the doctors when I was a kid. Nothing. New fact about Josh. He never has had wax in his ears. Had wax? <laughs> I mean, everybody's got some <laughs> wax, but... You just said you don't. I actually don't have wax in my ears. And I love how the chapter starts with math. And I, I, I saw that and I was like, starts you know, with what? Starts with math. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Your favorite. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. And I love because <laughs> how can there be letters in math? Yeah. I'm with John. I don't trust math. I don't trust mathematicians. People that love math are shifty and always seem to be up to something. So and that's just me. <laughs> Well, I hate math. <laughs> no. Yeah, if you love math, fine. You're, you're shifty. <laughs> yeah. I did. I did crack up though when I when I read math as God's punishment. <laughs> I was like, Paul would agree with this. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I, I love how he starts out this chapter uh, because you know you have the teacher going a squared plus b squared blah blah blah, and John's going, well, why? Why? Well, what's so important about this? Um, and then goes, how do, how do you know this formula actually works? And the teacher goes, just memorize it. It doesn't matter whether you understand where it came from. It is simply true. Just accept it and move on. That yeah. sentiment of that teacher, you know, I've heard that multiple ter- times in my life from teachers. I've even heard that from people in the church as well. Oh, yeah. And here's my position on that. It's good and healthy to push back on a teacher when they go, it doesn't matter where you understand where it came from. It is simply true. Just accept and move on. It's unhealthy and honestly unhelpful thing for teachers to say that because there's no understanding then of the base of why this is true. You know, for me, even when I was younger, I wanted to know the basis behind it. I wanted to know what was the proof that A squared plus B squared equals C squared. I wanted to know how did I know this was true, not just it happened to make sense on a calculator sort of deal. Right. You know, what was the context under it? What what was the proof? I didn't have to be a master of the, everything in the background. I just wanted evidence for it. Yeah. I didn't just want to accept it. And even for people in the church, when they go, just, just accept it. It just says this. It's like, no, I want to know why. Why does it say that? What does it mean more than just, just accept it? Yeah. Take it and roll with it. Yeah. Yeah, that, but that's just me. That's just because I'm probably biased against math. But he, <laughs> you know, but yeah. what he, but he's what he's doing here is he's laying the foundation for the rest of this chapter, which I really liked. Because the rest of this chapter essentially is how do we know that the Bible is what it is and is true. 
and is truly the word of God and has not been corrupted and manipulated by man. And that's the whole theme of this chapter here, which I like that he addressed that there. So was there anything that stuck out to you about that besides the math? <laughs> in the beginning, like right there at the beginning? Oh, anywhere in the chapter. Oh. Page 38. So let me read. The, uh, but even those who turn to the scriptures with a certain amount of faith still wrestle with the authority of scripture. Some Christians put their trust in Christ, yet they believe that the Bible is nothing more than a guide. This is error of the gravest kind. To them, the Bible is not absolute authority, nor is it meant to be taken literally. Mm -hmm. I guess where he said, well, the, this is error of the gravest kind. I was like, oh, 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 wait a minute. I guess as we're talking about <laughs> trying to understand, I'm like, why is this an error of the gravest kind? And I'm probably just looking at this way too, uh, would it be too big or too small? Because I feel like I have heard it talked about so much as, you know, for the stuff that we're told not to do mm -hmm. in the Bible is as a guide kind of thing. So I was just like, why is that? Right, but what he's saying at here yeah. is that it's nothing more than a guide. That's the key phrasing that's, there. Yeah, okay, I see So that. that's the key phrasing. So, yes, there are portions of the Bible where mm -hmm. it's a guide on how to live, right? Right. What he's saying isn't discrediting any of that. Mm -hmm. But he's saying it's nothing more than a guide. In other words... A guide. When you read that, it's uh, hey, you know what? This would be great if you did it, but it's not gonna. It's not a requirement that you do it, right? Right. And as he goes through the chapter, he goes, he basically calls these the ladders of faith of believing, right? Yeah. Uh, of the Bible, and he goes, but moving even higher on the ladder of the importance of Scripture would be the Christian who believes that the Bible is the literal and actual Word of God. Uh -huh. It is personal. It is as it is as if God is talking to you to you face to face. It is unchanging, perfect in holiness, unerring for all eternity. So th there's the people who believe that versus that's just a guide. It's just here to show you how to live a good life. Yeah. Versus it's versus this is what God wants to tell you. This is his word right. that doesn't change. That's that's the difference. Gotcha. Okay. One does not preclude the other. So you can have the guides as part of it, but it's also the unerring, ever-changing Word of God. Right. Okay. All right. Make sense now? I want to make sure I had that. Yeah. Yep. It, and, <sighs> and going on with that, it, so that part of the chapter there, mm -hmm. uh, John was talking about how people have issue with the fact that human hands wrote down the scriptures. Right. You know, it, and John addresses this in... And he says, this is one of the most common arguments to hear against scripture. And I, honestly, I think he handled it pretty decently, you know, for not being a theological book, just right. a layman book, right? The crux of the argument is that the is that Christians, for the longest time, have said that scripture is infallible. It's unerring. It's non-changing, right? But then some will go, but it was written by human, and therefore prone to human error. This makes a few assumptions. First off, 
God didn't understand this could happen. In fact, he made us <laughs> and witnessed our own downfall in the Garden of Eden. He knows how we can be easily manipulated and yep. twist words to fit our own agenda when prodded by the enemy. And he knows full and well that Satan is out in full force. Mm-hmm. Okay? The second thing that it makes assumption of is that, and this is, this is why I like that you brought this up, the Bible was only intended to be a guide. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there um, it is. <laughs> I remember there was a song. It was old. I say old, you know, because like I was in my teens when this came out. Oh, geez. And the song was called Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. Nice. Yep. Yeah. You know, in essence, a guide what to do. Yeah. You know, just a basic guide instead of it saying, no, this is the unerring word of God. Yeah. So that, and this, that segment that you read was all part of John going over and saying, these are the levels of belief in the scripture, but this is also why people say this. And then the rest of the chapter goes on to talk about specific components of it and how we know these things are true, that this is the unerring word. But go on. Oh, it's not a backtrack, a page. To page 37. But it was funny when he was talking about how um, it was was the... uh, I'll just read it. So, and if the Bible was full of only explainable events, do you think people would say, because the Bible is full of explainable events, I absolutely believe it. Somehow, I doubt it. I was I was thinking about that. Because I, I did like, it was in that paragraph earlier, uh, so other complexities, mysteries, unexplainable supernatural events in the Bible. <laughs> he says, well, I would hope so. Or else this infinite God doesn't seem all that different to me than a finite human. I was just like, I thought about that. I was like, yeah. So I, I just thought that was interesting to say, or the, him to bring that question is, you know, if, if it was full of explainable events, would we believe it more so than now as human beings, or would we not? I don't know. What do you think? Potentially in the first few years, maybe we would. But it would be something that would die off. It would be something to die off because if you look at the major religions of the world through time and history, all of them have unexplainable things happening. There's some sort of, well, yeah, mystery to it that keeps people. Right. If it's it's just, uh, you know, the diary of Aaron as he goes around Wisconsin oh, walking. People are going to be like, who is this bozo? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, I just, I, I wondered about that. Cause I was like, if, cause I guess I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't think that the Bible would be able to stick around as long as it has. Mm-hmm. Had it not had like, well, the whole mysterious or like unexplainable stuff in it claims that it makes couldn't be all that exciting. <laughs> I at least at least at the first thought of that, but yeah. So yeah, no, I definitely I I I, I am also with Cooper on that and thinking I I doubt it. Okay, 
So 45 is still in this chapter. What? Oh, that's literally the last page. Huh? Do you have anything in between? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I figured as much. So but, pages yeah. 39 to 40. Yeah. So after John goes, okay, look, these are the levels of believing the, the, the word of God, the Bible, right? He then goes, okay, so I'm just going to read the last part of 38. He goes, as we will see, the Bible commands us to have the utmost assurance that the word of God is true, absolute, authoritative, and contains the actual presence of God himself. Then he goes, okay, now let's talk about this. He, you know, he, this is where he starts talking about some actual theology in here. Surprise, surprise from John. And he d- just doesn't assume that the reader understands who God is, that John is, t- that John himself, Cooper is talking about. Instead, what he does is it goes, let's look at the interpersonal relationship amongst the Trinity. And he does this to bring up an important point that when God speaks and says is not only true for how can God lie to himself, you know, God the Father cannot lie to God the Spirit, cannot lie yeah. to God the Son, Jesus. Ugh. Okay? Yeah. So not only is it true, but it's powerful. And as he talks in the next segment of the book, it is through the words of God that these things are brought into creation. For example, let's look back at Genesis. And I brought this up from the ESV version. Uh, Genesis 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. He didn't wave his hand in a magical, mystical way. He just said, let there be light. Boom. Okay. Uh, also, in uh, this verse, and God said, and this is from verse 9, uh, I believe it's chapter 1, duh. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. That That's all it was. It wasn't, ta-da, yeah. let me wave my hands. And it was, God said, let this happen. And it happened. And it was so. That's a lot of power for a words. Yeah. Yeah. For a words. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of power for words. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely cannot do that. So... God speaking to himself speaks in truth, speaks with power. Okay, so we we got that part, right? Going from there, John then starts to expand the concept of words that God has given to man. While we look at this and go, yeah, God spoke through the prophets, you know, because look at the Old Testament, it's all spoken through prophets and all that, right? John emphasizes something from Deuteronomy at the end of page 41, start of page 42. Specifically, he's referring to Deuteronomy 18, 18 through 19. All, and he's also referencing Exodus 20 here and all this. So all the way back in Exodus 20, right? All the nation of Israel gathered around Mount Sinai to hear the word of God. When God began to speak, the people were frightened. They asked Moses, well, more like begged, uh, to talk uh-huh. to God in their place so that they wouldn't die, as, as it's put. Moses did this and in turn spoke to the people on behalf of God. This continued for a while. And then, you know, in Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 through 19, we get the following. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Now, this is God speaking essentially, uh, saying, I will raise up from them a prophet like you, like Moses, from among their brothers, the people of Israel. And I'll put my words, God's words, in his mouth. 
He shall, the prophet, speak them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, uh, I will require of him. In other words, the prophet's words are God's words. Address, this addresses the objection that man may mess up the words of God. And the second thing is that this shows that God's words in the mouth of a prophet are fully authoritative. That is, they carry the weight and authority of God himself, even though they are coming from a human mouth. That's pretty cool. Again, this is all addressing that whole concept of the Bible was written down by man. How can we trust that it's true? We can trust what a prophet says because it is given with the authority and weight of God. Okay. Now, we continue this line of thought, and we then arrive in the New Testament. And this is starting around page 43 here. We understand that Jesus is not only a prophet, but he is also part of the Trinity. And if he himself is one that is talking and carries the weight of the Trinity, of being part of the Trinity with God, then what he says is true. Now, one will go, why didn't Jesus himself write everything down? Why do you leave it up to his disciples to write all this? If we look at John 14, 26, which is on page 43 of the book, it says the, that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In other words, he's going to help the disciples remember what Christ has said to them but God, and teach them as well mm-hmm. everything. Now, you said you had something 45? Yeah. It was, it's literally just the last question. Why can't we know how to live righteously on our own without the absolute truth of God's word? Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. I wonder why that. Maybe because we're so prone to mess up. <laughs> it, it, you know, he, he, he leaves that there as a segue yeah. into the, next, the chapter. next chapter. Yep. Yeah. But I want to say this before yeah. we move on to chapter four. You know, yeah. I, I like chapter three because it's continues on that foundation that he's been building. It's taken into context of how I can trust that God's truth is the only truth. You know, he's trying to get past that relativistic truth argument. In other words, what is the authority under which God can claim truth, and how can we know that this truth is trustworthy? We, by our very nature, myself included, like to be convinced of why someone should be trusted. I want to know why I can trust you, Aaron. How can we know that Christ, and by extension God, can be trusted to provide truth? That's what this chapter attempts to start laying the foundation for and tackle. And it's another building block for the next chapter, which discusses if one can find truth on their own, which is exactly that question that you asked. Why can't we know how to live righteously on our own without the absolute truth of God's word? Because we aren't good people like that. (laughs) So before we get started, I have a question for you, Aaron. No. Can you define the word immutable? Heck no. Um, Immutable. Mm Mm-hmm. can't be muted <laughs> how would you use it like if you're using that in a sentence if i was using that in a sentence yeah 
because I can't even say if I saw that. But see, I can use this in the tech jargon, but it would make no sense for you. Oh, heck yeah, no. So let me put it in a, a, diff, a different way here. Where is that word, though? I guess I'm imagining you saw it if you're asking. Uh, I probably did see it somewhere in here, um, but the re- reality is... Oh, I found it. Okay, where is it? I was not immune to the immutable truths of the stovetops. Yep. It's like, I guess, thing that there's like no denying. Like you can't, the immutable truths of the stovetop. Yep. So it's like, the only way I can think of is there's like no ifs, ands, or buts that the stovetop is hot. Kind of thing. You're kind of close. Yeah. So what immutable means is is a property of something that cannot be changed. That's okay. A, that's what I said. Yeah. You're, you're pretty close. You're you're pretty like you're yeah. You know we could argue semantics. Trying to get into the ballpark of it. Yeah. So in our words, you know, immutable characteristic of God is that He is holy. Yeah. That is something that cannot be changed. Nope. Uh, we use that in tech all the time when we we talk about immutable objects, immutable IDs. I, these are uh, IDs that are assigned to maybe like a computer that can never be changed, that cannot be changed. That's what yeah. immutable. Immutable. ID. Yeah. Unchanging. Unchangeable. Or unchangeable. Yep. Well, is that is that different? I suppose well, that would be different. Well, No. Because would that be different? Because here's why: a stove, right? You could turn it off. No, no, no. I'm saying no. The, the difference between unchanging or unchangeable. Yes, yes. Yeah. Here's here's my example: of that a stove, you can turn the burner off. You changed it. It's yeah. now cool. If it if it could never be turned off, then it would be unchangeable. But it can it can be turned on and off. So would unchanging be something it can't do on its own unless an outside force does it and then unchangeable is something where literally nothing can change anything right uh, yeah we'll just go with that <laughs> you know and, and that's why it says of a hot stove right yeah 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 so a hot stove is an immutable thing it's always going to be hot but you could turn it but it is changeable yeah. where you could turn it off and now yeah. it becomes a cold stove. But anyways. But what if the hot stove was unchanging? <laughs> what if it, uh, I don't care. Yeah. So next. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I just yeah. saw that. I was like, yeah. I wonder if, and I say this because there was another episode where I asked you what immutable was and you ha- and I had you define it as well. And that was maybe a few months ago. Was it really? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if Aaron remembers what immutable means. Wow. My memory ain't my memory's not good. Your memory's not immutable. <laughs> it's not <laughs> Heck no. <laughs> Your memory is very mutable. It is a hundred percent mutable. <laughs> so was there anything in chapter four? Because I have a lot of stuff on chapter four. <laughs> what? I'm so upset with myself a little bit. Why? I wrote for page forty seven. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you wrote? 
That's what I wrote. <laughs> did you write any other pages for this chapter? Well, no, I did. I do have like other a few more pages. What was the <laughs> oof in reference to? It was page forty-seven. <laughs> There's a lot happening on forty-seven. <laughs> what about the forty-seven? Did you go oof about? Probably all of it. <laughs> um, it probably most likely was most people believe that they were born good, as we will see. Nothing could be further Ooh. from the truth. Yeah, that's probably I what really a, made me say. Oof. I have a comment on that one. Oh no! So yeah, I I love that John called that out. Um, yeah, because that, that's definitely not what the Bible teaches. <laughs> I've heard so many times uh, about our natural predisposition of people, and that that natural predisposition is that we are good. Is that a word that you know? <laughs> I, I'm looking at your face. Right no, now. I was just wait. I don't remember predisposition. What the, predisposition. Yeah. Oh my goodness, it's becoming a word with there in the episode. Because <laughs> use, use it again, how you said there's there's a predisposition. I can't even say the freaking word. The natural that we are predisposition good. of people is that they are good. You could also it's, use you could also use it in our way that uh someone it, may be predisposed to be an alcoholic. Someone may be predisposed. Yeah. Okay. So what what do you think it means? So like I can't say it. Why? Because I can't use my words. <laughs> well, guess what? Not in a way that makes any sort of sense in my mind. Why does it just make me think of the word predestined, though? It's close to. Because it's like, at some to some point, we are good or going to become good. Are we, though? Are all of us going to? No. Okay. But... No, that's just how that was saying that that way is like some people believe that oh, yeah, we the, are so what they're going to be or we yeah. Well no, what they're they're not saying that we're going to be. They're we saying that we be. were born we were good. Born good. What they're saying is that they're so predisposed yeah. makes means someone is liable or inclined to a specific attitude, action, or condition. Yeah. In other words, what they're saying is that they believe that the natural nature of a person is that you're good. Uh, yeah. That you are born right out of your mother. Whoop, you're good. I'm a good little baby. Yep. No, I'm not. So, so back to that, you know, the natural predisposition of people is that they are good and only choose to turn evil. You know. You know, how much different would our, would our thinking be if we actually follow what God said and realize that we are naturally born out evil. of the gate, evil and wicked. The Bible says that our heart is wicked, and I believe it. Just from my own oh. experience of me and people I know, I'm not singling out anything. I'm just saying just in general of things I know, right? I mean, I think that about myself. Shoot. Yeah. I just have to look at myself to know that this is true, okay? <laughs> I yeah. I used to listen pretty regularly. I don't anymore uh, for various reasons. It was a podcast called Bad Christian. Yep. They released at one point like a little pamphlet, a little booklet, where they made that argument that the heart isn't naturally evil. The heart is naturally good. I remember reading through that, and I was like, wow, I do not agree with any of this. You know, they disputed the fact that people are born with the wicked hearts. And yeah, I I don't think it's a good argument that they had in the book. I don't remember all of them, but they really tried to skirt around scripture and say, oh, but this all points to us having good hearts. Like, no, 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 no. So, mm. so that's why I'm glad you brought that up as well because that is a big point that a lot of people in society currently go, oh, but 
everyone's born to be a good, good star. No, no I guess not. No, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, no. All right. Not at all. So what was next on your hit list? Um. Oh, <laughs> I feel like I was just being dumb with this one. Oh, no. Which is most times. <laughs> what else has God created? <sighs> so God is an artist who loves to create. He doesn't have to create out of some need for something he doesn't already have. After all, as we've already established, he is completely self-sufficient. Instead, God enjoys creating, and he creates with wisdom and beauty and according to his sovereign will and his creation including us, is always individually unique. Yes, maybe that just brought the question to me as, has, like, has he created more than just us? Well, obviously he's created more than just us. Ah, gosh, how was I thinking of that? Because obviously there's the heavens, which he created. Right. I guess I just, outside of what we know, what else has he created? Anything that's out there. I know. That's what's like mind-blowing to me is like. The comets. Because we only have so. The planets, the stars. Yeah. The galaxies. But beyond that. Like that's what I like had my mind just going like, man, what else has he created that we haven't even seen yet? Yep. Probably will never see too. At least until heaven, but yeah. That's just incredible to me. I don't know. I thought that was super cool. Okay. It just, uh, just sent me down a brain-hurting thought of like, oh, what else is there? It's out there. Um, Just to think of how, man, I guess it just goes to show how, I mean, I guess, I mean, I always love the song Indescribable. Because it's like, I always try and think, like, say, like, how awesome he is or whatever. But it's like, I can't say it because that's not good enough kind of thing. Right. But, man. All right. That's what that, that's what that got me going on. But that's, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Anything else there from, like, 48, Um, 49? 49, should we dismiss our bad behavior because it's natural? That's me just saying, I guess. In lesser words of what he actually said, though. It's uh, page 49. All this begs, I think that's, uh, all this begs the question if we know that not all of our natural impulses are good, why do we so often trust them? Oh, no, incorrect. Second to last, I think, uh, paragraph. Should we dismiss, yeah, there it is. Should we dismiss our own tantrums our own hateful actions because they are natural or in fact, or does the fact that they are natural propose a deeper problem? Yeah. I guess I feel like going into this thing, well, the thought of, can we be inherently good as people? No, not with that question being said. Look at, look at a little kid. Right yeah, they get one of the first words they learn is no, no, or they mine they, or, or mine. Yep, they get super aggressive when you take something that they want away or don't give them what they want. Yep, I mean he talked about that earlier with his own kids. With his own kid, 
Xavier's hitting his mom. Was it with his daughter? Uh, kicking and screaming kind of thing when they got off the ride and stuff like that. Yeah. And she wanted to go right then and now. She's like, you don't want to wait in this line again now kind of thing. Oh, man, so, that was my brother when he was younger. Yeah. <laughs> my, my biological brother when he was younger, that was him. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, some things I'm, I'm no, I noticed from page 49 here. Uh, the world seems to be nothing more than grown-up children throwing ten, temper tantrums and asserting their own will. Yeah. And we live in a culture that teaches that natural impulses are always good. But this, they're not. This can't be true, especially when you tie them with what you what you highlighted there. Mm-hmm. You know, we have that. How do I say this? Every six month of the year, we have that where it's we celebrate natural impulses that everyone likes. Yeah, <laughs> and I love how you're just trying to like figure out what I'm trying to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What I'm trying to do is avoid it from getting picked up by transcript and then auto-flagged and auto-tagged somewhere. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Oh, okay, okay. Where we, it's a whole month of celebration of natural impulses, and we say, oh, yes, this is perfectly great when we have scripture telling us this is wrong. Oh. Did you finally figure out what I meant? I think so. Okay. I yeah. think so. <laughs> So, yeah, so natural impulses are all good. You, you, you are seeing that more and more and more, like, with stuff like the whole map stuff. Um, map, for those who aren't aware, is a current, I guess you could say, hot topic word acronym yeah. for minor attracted persons and people actually trying to justify it. And that's just disgusting on so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, what else did you, what, what else from this chapter stuck out at you? Because I still have a lot more. Oh, yeah. I've seen that's, I'm, I'm seeing that for next time. Definitely going to try and read through more than once and write down more notes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, this the main thing was on this. Uh, page 51, when you and I choose to believe ourselves instead of believing God's word, we are committing the same sin that Satan committed. Guess what? That's exactly what I have in my notes. <laughs> now, what was the saying that, uh, the, the saying, what was the sin that Satan committed? He talks about it on page 50. The sin of Satan yeah. or pride. Yeah. And, and he wanting what God, the, he, he wanted to be on the same level as God yep. kind of thing. He wanted that power and authority kind of stuff. And yep. And I like how John included that as the, hey, we got to be careful uh, because the sin that caused Satan to fall is the one that he's very intimate with, familiar with, and the right. one that he will tempt us with over and over again. And the one that we, all of us, fall to very too often. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how he put that in there. He's like, hey, Here's a warning. He's like, hey, guess what? Satan's the master of it. <laughs> he's, right, he, yeah. he's, He knows how to use that against you because guess what? That was his sin. That's how he fell. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. And I like then going on here, you know, beyond this, he goes, and it's on page 52. He goes, the consequence of Adam's sin, original sin, is twofold. The first being that all of us are born into a nature of depravity, the second being that our communion with God is broken, which causes both physical and spiritual death. Yeah. 
Do you have anything else? 53. Okay. I have stuff on 53 too. Oh, I bet you do. All right. Uh, I just, no, I just wanted to, my highlights were, it was Romans 7, 18 through 19 being this. And these are, well, so these ones are, is it, is it new living tra- uh, translation for yep. this? Okay. Hold up. Okay. So, all right. So hold up. You might be saying, what if sin isn't passed down through the spiritual genes? What if it is learned? Couldn't we somehow unlearn it? It's a fair question. One resolved by the Bible. <laughs> In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. (laughs) And I can honestly say both of us have had experience with that first in in our own personal lives. Uh, I'm not not saying how recent, but both both of us have had experience with that. Yeah, that's definitely a a good reminder of things. Anything Mm. else that you got highlighted that... So then it's going to be the Psalms 14, 2 through 3, the NLT, which I don't do. I mean, just read that whole paragraph. That's up to you. Why not? In case anyone thinks that perhaps Paul was only talking about himself, rest assured he was not. In fact, just a few chapters earlier, he all but quoted Psalm 14, where the psalmist writes, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. It's like, wow, Mm -hmm. that's depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, And then the last thing, just being the last paragraph on the page, without an intervention, we will remain in sin. We'll continue to chase our desires to hurt our neighbors, to do what it takes, to, yeah, to do what it takes to get a leg up. As a result, we'll remain in spiritual death. This is so different than what we hear in society these days. Our current culture tells us what tells us we are good, that we have truth in our hearts, and that we shouldn't. Oh, and that we should follow it. If we do, we'll follow it all the way to death. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> yep. Okay. Anything else from this chapter? No. Okay. Take I got. I, it away. I got a couple things here. Yes, you do. So on page fifty-three, John, I love how he says this. He goes, "We humans were very imaginative in the worst way possible." Yeah. He points out our appetites for food, sex, wealth, power. We can get really creative when we want one or more of these items, and we we will do whatever we want to make it happen. As John puts it, and personally I can attest to this, our creativity in finding new ways to sin is infinite. Yeah. Okay. And then on page 54, you know, getting back to that heart of the question, can you just be good enough? You can't be just good enough. So you can't be just good enough to make it into heaven. You can't just have more good outweigh the bad sort of stuff. The Bible teaches that on our own, we are incapable of being righteous. Why is that? Well, we would have to never break one of the laws of God to be righteous. 
And we break that from a very young age, okay? Yeah, from the get-go. <laughs> if we start with just the Ten Commandments, all of us at one point or another have lied. Well, there we go. One break, and we are unrighteous. Okay. Now, one of the verses that he brings up is very interesting here. Isaiah 64, yes. 6. Okay. So I actually booted up my Logos Bible software and did some digging and research. Oh, okay. Here. So first off, okay. Uh, Isaiah 64, 6. Mm-hmm. Actually, this, he, he doesn't actually have that in here. So let me grab Isaiah 64, 6 here. Okay, Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our swins, our sins sweep us away. Our swins. Our swins. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. and he points out here, in Isaiah's day, these filthy rags refer to the clothes used by women during their menstrual cycles. Yeah. That, you know, that was his, I was like, really? Is that correct? Right, so I looked up the original wording in the, in using, you know, concordances and, and all that to look it up in the original language. Yeah. Um, because I want to see if his assertion was correct or not. I figured, you know, since I went through writing, it probably was. Lo and behold, John is correct. Wow. Uh, the word here, so in the New Loving Translation, translation it, which he, he doesn't have in here, but that's what he references. It, it they use the phrase "polluted," uh, "polluted garment." Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's filthy in a lot of other translations. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the original Hebrew. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. It's not even going to. Okay, yeah. but essentially, the word is from an unused root, meaning to set a period. Um, menstruation. So literally a menstruation rag. Wow. That's pretty filthy. Yeah. And you got to remember as well, think of this back in the, in the culture in which it was written, back in the Old Testament days, right? In Old Testament days, if someone was menstruating, they were bleeding, they were considered unclean. Yeah, because that's... Yeah. So ceremonially and all this and religiously and all that, they were unclean. So in other words... These sins, okay, these sins are like a polluted garment, you know, if we try to be good, just our own. In other words, we're unclean. We're not able to do it. We're unworthy still. I found that kind of kind of interesting imagery that would make perfect sense in the Jewish mindset, but one that we have to think about a little bit in our current mindset about. about. Yeah. And ultimately what it comes down to is good does not equal righteous. You can be good, but that does not make you righteous. Those are two completely different things. Right, because he did he did kind of talk about that, how yes, people can have can make good acts. Uh-huh. But does not make them does righteous. Does not make you righteous. Yep. And I love this on page fifty five. The unfortunate truth is you can't always trust your feelings. Yes. And that leads us right into chapter five, which chapter I loved the title of called Simply Irresistible. Simply <laughs> Irresistible. Heck yeah. All right. So Sweet. this one was a doozy. Yeah. To start to say with. Okay. The first page of this chapter, I'm sure this hit on a few levels. 
the it's why people buy lottery tickets week after week, sure that one day they'll hit the jackpot and be set for life. It's why some who believe they'll never get cancer keep smoking cigarettes. In reality, we all have those things or that one thing that we stubbornly continue to pursue, even though we know it will harm us. You know, and that could be food. That could be whatever. There's so many things. Like he says, you know, buying a lottery ticket isn't necessarily a sin. No. Okay. Now there's, there can be conditions on it. Like lottery ticket or being your kid and you buy a lottery ticket, okay, that's wrong. Well, the the lottery ticket's what's going to potentially feed your kid. Yeah, no. <laughs> in abundance when you win or you, if you win. You have a better chance of being struck by lightning multiple times than winning the lottery. So, yeah, that's pretty bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I kind of liked how he kind of used that in there and starting it. But the story he starts oh, a chapter geez. with. Oh, man. Of the man saying that this is the woman he knows God is telling him to marry. I've heard that so many times from people in my life. Yeah. And like the person in this chapter at the beginning, that relationship just ended in disaster. And those that I know who said that, I'd say 90% of those people, their relationships ended in disaster, like crash and burn, Mm. just destroyed. (laughs) It was... That's sad. it, It is sad, but it's also one of those things of just like, Hey, <laughs> foo! You, you just you go into it. You're like, yes, this is the one. No, and I love I love first part of the story. And in case you forgot, this is the third girl that God has supposedly told you that you're going to yeah. marry. <laughs> Somewhere the wires got crossed. If this is the the, the one that God's told you to marry, but yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. And this is also a lesson in hey. When your friends are giving you advice, <laughs> maybe listen to them even if you don't like it because there's a reason they're trying to give you advice here. There's a reason they're trying to tell you something. They see something that maybe you're not seeing. Yeah, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? I said, yeah, you don't say. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and, and he follow, so he follows all that up with the next story about another man who was in love with another woman and said it was, he was convinced, and it was a Christian, who was convinced he should leave, leave his wife and four children for another woman who was destined to be his true soulmate. <sighs> and this, for, this question, this question sums it up, not only for this person, but for a lot of other people. Why would I have these feelings if it wasn't meant to be? In other words, he's leading himself in his truth and what he thinks is right by his feelings and not by truth. And as a Christian, we are told that the, the God's Bible, the Word of God, contains the truth to live our lives by. Now, it doesn't. it's not going to talk about, thou shalt not post on Instagram on Sunday, but it does, or thou shalt only wear these clothes when posting on Instagram, but it does give you <laughs> guidelines on that. Again, it's a guide, Aaron. See, it right, there guide. it is. <laughs> um, but it has all these things in there for you on how to live. You know, obviously the Bible calls if you're married um, to be faithful to your spouse. It d- doesn't say, no, God, be faithful to your spouse until God tells you that this other person is the one for you. Yeah. Until you feel you found another one that's meant to be. Yeah. You know, and, and so he asks those questions, right? And as you read through the story, 
you know, it says that the man agreed that the Bible commanded him to be faithful to his family. But this was different because I was meant to be with this new woman. He was convinced that the rightness of his feelings outweighed the rightness that was told in the Bible. Yeah. And if you read the story, it destroyed his marriage, which I, I, I believe it, you know. Yeah, no surprise. And I love that John points this out. And he even puts it in this little little box on the, in the side of the page here Yep. to highlight it. Feelings can be the biggest obstacle for truth. In this search, yep. If I feel it is right, why isn't it right? Yeah. And I'm saying this from a personal perspective on this. This is a selfish thought. I, 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 there have been, what I, what I mean by this is a selfish thought is, if I feel it's right, therefore it is right. Why isn't it right? It's I'm selfishly wanting to bend the truth to be what I want, want to be based on my desires, my feelings, my emotions. Yeah. And I'm fully honest, I'm not immune to this. I've done this before many times. Nobody has said, I, I would put a lot of money down to say that everybody is like that at some yeah. point because I mean, I, yeah uh, we're not all that unique as far as when it comes to sin <laughs> no we're not we think we're unique but we're yeah. not no <laughs> thankfully in that regard thankfully right. we're not but like john said we're all pretty creative when we want to be in yeah we oh are. right but we, as far as like there's the sin is still the same it's just how are we doing it kind of thing? Well, yep. some of the sins are still the same. It, Yeah. Yep. And I love yeah. how he keeps coming back to the story about the stove and him. And him yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and, and it made me. a traumatic me, moment. And it made me think through that. And, and I wrote this down. It said, we can follow our feelings when it comes to sexuality or drug addiction or pornography addiction or lying or a failing marriage or wherever or whatever. But how will that end? Oh, end like the stove and John. It'll end like us, it'll end with us getting burnt. Yeah. It'll end with us, that thing that was not, you know, it's, the stove was not designed for us to touch it. Okay. No. God didn't design us to sit there and be addicted to pornography. God didn't design us to be addicted to drugs. When I say drugs, like heroin, marijuana, stuff like that. Even alcohol. Yep. Okay. God designs sex for a particular uh, situation between a man and woman inside of marriage. God didn't, well, he didn't design us for lying, but we discovered that on our own pretty easily. (laughs) Okay. In all those instances, we could go and do that because we say, oh, this feels right. This feels good. This is what I want for this desire temporarily. And it always ends up like John in the stove when he was a kid. Burnt. Burnt. You get injured. You get hurt. And there's repercussions and there's pain as a result of it. And depending on how bad it is, there may be some permanent damage. Yep. In John's case, there wasn't any, but, you know, okay, sadistic land. Someone goes, I'm just going to stick my hand on the <laughs> stove and sit here until all the skin burns out. Well, there might be permanent scarring and damage there. Right? Nerve damage. Yeah. 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 So I was like. Yeah, it just goes to show if you, show if you well, yeah, if you dwell in it long enough, it's just going to get worse for you. 
Yep. And I love how um, he summed it up here on 59, a lot of this right here. Thousands have been and still are fully convinced that the false is true and that what is wrong is right. To tell men, therefore, to look within for an authoritative guide and to trust their irresistible convictions is to give them a guide which will lead them to destruction. Again, back to that hot stove, back to the addictions, back to following what my heart says. And I'm not saying, and John says the same thing, I'm not saying that emotions are a bad thing. They are a part of life. We will continue, and they will continue to be a part of life. Mm-hmm. Okay? Unless you have, you know, God forbid, a brain injury of some sort, you know, you're going to have emotions pretty much until the day you die. Or you have some medication that dulls out all your emotions. But mm-hmm. th- 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 those are the exceptions, right? They're not something to be shunned or avoided at all cost, like a lot of men are told or think they're told in Western culture. You know, men don't cry, men don't do this, men don't do that. You know, you're told be stoic and strong and suck it up. Exactly. Instead, emotions are something to be embraced. That being said, they're not the source of truth for us. I like that John addresses this and asks, well, if we are a child of God, why can't we trust the emotions we have? I mean, we have the Spirit, and the Spirit teaches us, and we have that going for us, so why not? Because oftentimes, we humans can misinterpret our feelings and emotions to mean one thing when they mean something else. Heck, we can't even interpret intent through text messages most of the times, missing the subtleness of the spoken word that goes along with verbal communication. I mean, how many times have maybe... You know, even me and you misconstrued something just because it's over text and there's no tone behind it. And over time, we've learned a little bit better to kind of, you've kind of learned to read sarcasm to everything I say, pretty much. <laughs> but I mean, in, in essence, you know, that that happens when you just read stuff over text and you're like, what the heck? I don't get it. And then go, oh, wait, I got to reread it with the sarcasm tone. Okay, now it makes sense. That or don't just let my truck read it to me because it doesn't tell me everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't tell you all the quotation marks or the question marks and all the that. The punctuation Yeah, and stuff. So that's the word I was looking for. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so having emotions with our faith isn't bad, but having a faith based on emotions is bad. scary and inappropriate. What happens when that emotion fails? Do we then renounce our faith because we no longer feel it? And he covers some of that at the top of page uh, 62. And, you know, the way he wrote it, as he wrote it, is the problem is not that we are emotional about our faith, but when our faith is based on our emotions. That's, you know, that's how he wrote it. You know, and he gives the example, like, have you noticed that some people, let me read what he says. What I have noticed is that some of these people have confessed to loving Jesus, and they believed that it was real because they felt a love for Jesus. They were on fire for Jesus. Professing their love for Jesus gave them a feeling of hope, joy, and peace during their trials. He goes, I think it's a wonderful thing. And then he talks about, well, what happens when the faith, or what happens when the emotion wanes? What happens when life doesn't work out the way we hoped or prayed? No matter how much we shout that we love Jesus, if we do not build our lives upon his word, will be shattered by the inevitable waves of our sinful desires. And I can personally tell you from my own life and various other things, man, if my faith was based on emotion, <laughs> I would not be a Christian still. Because there's been so much that has gone bad 
in a sense for me, you know, trials and things that have come up that have been wrong, that if that was the case, I would have been gone a long time ago. Because there have been many times I can remember where, you know, in the midst of something where I would go, I don't know what's going on, God, I give up. Because my emotions were just shattered. I was done. I was drained. But I had to keep coming back to the fact that, and thankfully, that my faith wasn't built on emotion. It was built on what God said. And in those times, I was able to come back and say, this is how I feel, but this is the truth. And this is, and then, and and you learn this in doing outpatient therapy in that, that you being able to repeat that truth to yourself and you might have to say it a few times to yourself, it rebuilds that, that block, that foundation and says, this is true. And this is true no matter how I am feeling right now. And it helps you get through a lot of those scary and hard times. And then my final thought as I was reading up this chapter, because again, this whole chapter is like, hey, how can I trust my emotions and how can I know God is real and everything, right? Um, when my emotions may say differently. My final thought on this chapter was this. If we can't trust our emotion, then how do we know what we are doing is right? It's a simple answer. It's the everyday Sunday school Bible answer by knowing what God word, by knowing what God's word says. If we don't know scripture, we can assume that things that God hates, he instead loves. Examples, abortion, homosexuality, etc., right? By knowing what God's word says, we also, or excuse me, also we, get, we have the Holy Spirit as well that teaches and guides us and tells us this is what God loves. This is what the Bible says. This is what God says is true and not your emotion of, I'm depressed, I'm hurt, I'm lonely, I'm sad, I'm whatever. That isn't necessarily true. And then he leads right into the next chapter, and I love the title of the next chapter, which is, Love is Not God. (laughs) And the subtitle is, if God is love, can I find truth by being a loving person? And that's where we'll pick up the next time there, uh, the rest of the book there. So any closing comments there, Mr. Johnson? I think I should recommend this book to the book club. <laughs> Do you think they'll read it? I think so. Because I, I th- I've brought it up before that I had gotten it. Yeah. And one of the dudes is like, oh, yeah, let me know how it is when you read it. Because like I've, I, I can't remember if he said if he looked into it at all or read it, any of it yet, or just saw it and was like, oh, that could be interesting. But I don't, I don't know if he's ever, if he's ever gone into it, but I was like, hmm, maybe this could be a cool book for them to read. It's with. a very short book. It is very short. Like I'm holding in my hand. It, it's, it's like a small oh. pamphlet. I don't want to know what books you read that you can't hold in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Oh no. <laughs> like when I say I can hold in my hand, like I can hold in my hand comfortably, like oh. you know, my hand fully around it. Oh, there's do you hold that or there's like a book that I have that's like so no. thick I can't get my whole hand around it. No. Oh no. <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> Uh-uh. <laughs> I didn't say I read it for fun, but true, true. But I mean, yeah, and it's yeah. Okay. This is definitely going to be booked where it's it's going to be have to go, be gone through many times. Well, again, look at how worn and yeah, unpristine my copy is. Of course, I'm also sitting As here like folding it, folding it, and but torturing okay it so and, when i was at life fest yeah like i would fold it in half like this and put it in my back pocket when i was like going up and down you know to and from the stage and campsite and that that poor book it survived it has yeah that's is why i got a paperback see i like hard copies hard copies or hard back hard, well hard back yeah i'm sorry not hard copies <laughs> Hardcover, not hardback. Hardcover, yeah. yeah no. I like those. I don't know why, but I do. Okay. I prefer so paperback because I can make a because I can fold it and put it in my back pocket of my jeans. I'll just get a pair of pants that has a wide enough pocket to fit the book in. <laughs> and then your jeans are going to be on the ground <laughs> because of the weight. Nah. Not for how small. That's what a belt's for. Also, <laughs> okay. Anything else though that? But no, I mean, this is. I'd... Gosh, I've I've really enjoyed this one so far. I'm going to say this: I've gotten way more out of this one than uh-huh. that Vody Bakum book. Yeah, way more. Yeah, because and 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 if I'm being honest, because this dude is freaking hipping with the times, yo. Just kidding. <laughs> no, that's not what I was going to say. No. Um, what I was going to say is this. You know, unlike the Bakken book. Yeah. Where was a lot of, well, he, he put into practice all that he talked about, right? Right. But it was based on restriction, not liberty. Whereas Cooper is saying is working on truth and saying this is how truth is this isn't how you have to live you don't have to be a restrictive if i want to say a crazy person <laughs> you know right you, you know he doesn't get into the whole thing of like in in his book you're right in the whole thing he never gets into anything regarding stuff like bacham gets into he gets into like hey you know what's Tearing down your idols, stuff like that, stuff that is actually relative. I think for most people, you know, if you really want to believe in the old school conservatism, like Bakum, I'm not gonna stop you. Go for it if you really think you can. Personally, I think you're probably doing more harm than good because you're you're not having a child then that is going to be able to work in the real world. <laughs> you know, unfortunately. And people are going to go, oh, but we need to be separate. But not even. Look, if you want them to be able to communicate properly within a current cultural business climate, well, then my daughter's never going to work. <laughs> then that's between her and her husband, not between you and her. Yeah. So there's 
that that book makes a lot of assumptions, which I rubbed me wrong, but that's why I wasn't a big fan. Like I said, the first half of that book I thought was great. And then just lost. It, it got lost in the second half. And thankfully, I know that Cooper doesn't get lost in the second half of his book. Spoiler warning. Um, but <laughs> it, it's still. I it's, might say otherwise. You I'm might. Go, hey, you know what? If you do, you do. That's fine. I'm not going to stop you from disagreeing at all. Just like other conversations, never stopped you from disagreeing on stuff. You might stop yourself, but I, I don't. Stop <laughs> I just make myself look like a fool. So it's all right. <laughs> oh, that's all right. We all do that once in a while. We all make ourselves look like fools once in a while. Uh, but anything else? Or are you you pretty good for this one? I'm set. Wow. Okay. Well then, sir. That was only part one. Oh, geez. <laughs> part two will come soon. D- part two and double the time. <laughs>